Hello and welcome. I am Dr. Lara May, a clinical pharmacist specializing in functional medicine, as well as a certified yoga teacher and Reiki master. I run a truly integrative health coaching practice, encompassing functional medicine lab testing, yoga and meditation, and a sprinkling of Reiki energy medicine. Join me here on Light Body Radio to break through your health plateau and come into alignment with your natural vitality. Hello and welcome to another episode of Light Body Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Lara May. And today we're going to talk about the myth of needing to eat six meals a day or constantly snacking. I'm sure you've heard you have to eat a lot of meals spaced evenly throughout the day. If you don't eat frequently, your body will go into starvation mode and it will store fat. Ah! If you don't feed yourself protein every few hours, your muscles will become catabolic and will deteriorate. Or maybe eating small frequent meals is the best for energy and it staves off hunger. We've all heard all of these statements, probably for years and probably from really well-respected nutritionists or doctors or fitness experts. But the more research that is done and the more we really examine the science behind these statements, we have started to understand that all of it's pretty much crap advice. It's all BS. So today I wanna talk about the science behind why some people think this is the best thing to do and maybe the alternative of what could be better. Many fitness enthusiasts, bodybuilders, you know, people wanting to either lose weight or pack on the, you know, lean muscle have been following this prescription blindly for years. And mainly this is just pretty much dogma that somehow I think probably by the food companies, mainly like the big cereal companies, sort of beating into our heads. You know, you have to eat every three hours, blah, blah, blah. So it's just been, it's become something that's been unquestionably accepted by many people, again, including many fitness professionals. So we are going to figure out how many meals a day you should actually be eating. And here's a little hint, I'm not going to give you an exact exact prescription. So <laughs> so please stay tuned because we're going to talk about some really interesting stuff, but uh, I'm not here to tell you exactly what's perfect for your body without working up with you one-on-one, but I can give you some tips to help you figure out what is best for you. And it's usually not following some dogma blindly without really knowing why you're doing it. So first I wanna talk about the whole metabolism and meal frequency myth. It has been said that eating more frequently helps to speed up your metabolism. And this hypothesis is based on a number of really poorly constructed studies, which primarily center on what we call the thermic effect of food, or the TEF. The thermic effect of food is the amount of energy that your body requires to metabolize the food that you consume. So if you consume a, a meal that is 500 calories, then there's a certain amount of energy that your body will burn in order to digest that food. 
So the different macronutrients, fat, carbs, and protein do have a different thermic impact. So another myth or argument that is a myth is that all calories are created equal. That's not true. And we know that's not true. So if you hear that from anyone, then you know that they're a little behind on their research. And maybe that's not a person you should be taking nutritional advice from. All calories are not created equal. Protein requires more energy to metabolize than fat. That is just a chemical fact. I sort of lost my train of thought in the middle of the sentence there. So (laughs) So let me try it again. So protein requires more energy to metabolize than fat because of the chemical reactions that are required to break down that structure of the protein versus the fat. Maybe that made more sense. Hope so. Okay. So on average, roughly 10% of the calories consumed in a typical diet end up going into your thermal effect of food, the TEF. Let me say that one again. Roughly 10% of the calories you consume, only 10% of the total calories end up going into the TEF. So therefore, whenever you eat, your metabolism will increase slightly, just 10% due to this TEF. So now on the surface, this all seems like to make sense and it seems plausible and it can be seen to confirm the validity of needing to eat a greater number of meals a day. However, this is a fundamental misunderstanding of the way TEF actually works. The thermal effect derived from eating matches the number of calories being consumed. In other words, if you eat a small meal, you get a small thermic effect. If you eat a large meal, you get a large thermic effect. So it doesn't really matter. And again, if you break it down minutely and you did the math, it would you would get slightly different numbers based on your macronutrients. But if you were eating, let's say you were eating the exact same thing and you just divided it over six meals versus three squares a day, it would come out to be exactly the same. So again, it doesn't matter if you eat two meals a day or six. If you're eating the same total amount of calories and the same composition of macronutrients, you're going to have the same thermic effect. So I hope that clears that up. That's just one aspect. So an analysis of multiple studies has confirmed this to be true, showing that meal frequency really plays no difference in metabolic rate. And as far as the metabol- sorry, <clears throat> metabolism argument is concerned, eating more frequently is not going to make you lose more weight most of the time. So the next idea is that your body goes into starvation mode if you don't eat every two to three hours. The reality of this belief is not supported by any science whatsoever. Starvation mode takes a lot longer than just 10 hours or even 48 hours to go into effect. True starvation mode is when your body starts to break down its own muscle mass, its own proteins for energy, and you start to lose lean body mass. That's starvation mode. And for most of us, even athletes that don't have a large body fat percentage, it takes, again, at least more than 48 hours to go into starvation mode. And that's why intermittent fasting or even multiple day fasting can be used under medical supervision to approach different 
digestive issues and medical conditions in a positive way. So this quote, calorie sparing effect of, um, you know, going longer than 10 hours or even up to 48 does not concern you unless you go multiple days without food. And that's why I'm sure you've seen some of these documentaries lately that talk about um, the dangers of prolonged fasting. And yes, it can be dangerous. And that's why it's always recommended that if you're going to fast longer than 48 hours, you should be medically supervised either by your physician or a licensed nutritionist or some sort of healthcare provider that has the credentials and the educational background to know what to tell you, how to do it safely, to know how to monitor you along the way, and to be able to tell you what to look for if they're not right there next to you in case you need to stop the fast. So blood sugar in healthy individuals has been shown to be lower overall the less you eat. So with infrequent feedings, we call it. You heard that correct. So eating too frequently, you attain a higher blood sugar level on average over the course of the day. And I'm going to go into this um, in a minute about how insulin plays a role and how your blood sugar actually is incremental to either putting on fat or losing weight. So studies are showing that short fasting periods actually make you healthier. And so I'm sure if you haven't, I will link into the episodes and all the blogs I've done about intermittent fasting. And so you can get more background on that. And so eating less frequency has been shown to induce a cellular cleanup process known as autophagy, which just means your cells are getting rid of waste faster and it helps them remain healthier and less inflamed. So this in turn has been shown to increase lifespan and reduce total body inflammation. So when you're reducing your total body inflammation, you're decreasing your risk for so many diseases, including cancer, diabetes, heart disease, all that stuff. So now I want to take you into uh, a little bit of the nitty gritty, not too sciencey, but just enough to give you an understanding about the role of blood sugar. And so this whole myth about grazing throughout the day. So the myth is that you need to eat frequently to avoid hypoglycemia. So the first three hours after you eat, your body produces a hormone called insulin. I'm sure we've all heard of it. Insulin's job is to clear the sugar from your blood and pass it on to your muscles and liver so they can do their job. So about an hour after you eat, if your insulin level and blood sugar levels are starting to come down, which is natural, they're supposed to, then growth hormone is then released. And growth hormone in the early post-meal stages triggers the buildup of muscle protein which is enhanced by the presence of insulin. So all of this is ideally how it's supposed to work. So when insulin is activated and when your body is functionally normally, your liver and muscles take on as much glycogen as possible because glycogen is how your body stores unneeded sugar. So anything that your body is not using for energy right then and there, so everything beyond that 10% thermic effect is going to be stored into glycogen. And so the other thing to keep in mind is that while insulin is active in your bloodstream, fat burning is not possible because the whole point of insulin is to grab those glucose molecules and take them to the liver and then the liver turns them into glycogen and beyond glycogen, then it's stored into fat. 
So fat burning is not possible if your body is in storage mode. So about three hours after you eat a meal, your insulin levels should be back down to where they were before your meal and your liver begins to kick into high gear, mobilizing glycogen. So that means releasing it into blood sugar for your body to use as energy. At that point, you begin to burn fat and burn the fats that are in your blood for energy, thus putting to good use the fats that would otherwise go into storage as unwanted fat. And then so more than four hours after eating, growth hormone begins to mobilize fat for fuel as well. So this fat for fuel only happens when your insulin insulin levels are low. So if you know anyone that's an insulin dependent diabetic, you've probably noticed that it's really hard for them to lose weight. Because if they are constantly pumping insulin into their body, then they're in storage mode, not fat burning mode. So again, this is why intermittent fasting, and even if you don't want to intermittent fast, even if you just give your body six hours between meals, if you maybe you need to work yourself up to four hours, although four hours is the minimal threshold, you, you get very, very little fat burning by waiting four hours to eat. But if you can wait up to six, even eight, and I think once you get up to the threshold out of eight hours, then it's considered, it can be considered an intermittent fast. Some people consider the threshold of an intermittent fast to be 12 hours without eating. It's really what makes your body feel good, what makes your brain feel good, what gives you energy and helps you feel good throughout the day. That's the whole point of eating is nutrition to help your body function. So snacking between meals is the ultimate self-sabotage. The period between meals should be an important opportunity for your liver to exercise and clear out glycogen. If you snack between meals or you eat too often uh, or too soon after the previous one, your liver's exercise routine is blocked. And thus, you're just setting yourself up for obesity, insulin resistance, and eventually diabetes. So when your liver doesn't get enough exercise, it can synthesize excessive cholesterol. And I don't know, I haven't talked about this soapbox in a while. (laughs) So the fact that cholesterol is actually a blood sugar problem, it is not a how much fat you eat problem. So your liver is also the organ that makes your cholesterol, which is required to have healthy cells, but it can lead to elevated blood lipids if it's constantly working, even if the food you eat contains no cholesterol at all. So again, if your body, if your liver is constantly working to manage all the sugar you're putting in it, so let's say you are on a low fat diet, well, if you're not eating fat, then you're most likely eating a lot of carbs. Carbs break down to glucose, which then goes into glycogen, which then goes into fat eventually, unless it's being burned and your liver is functioning normally and you're giving your liver a break. So it's a cycle. Have we figured that out yet? (laughs) So if your muscles are well toned, then they will actually use up fat between meals much faster than untrained muscles. Muscle tone can provide you the energy that you need to keep going all day. So I don't know if you've heard this before. This is actually true that the more lean muscle you have, the more muscle mass you have, the more efficiently your body burns calories at its basal metabolic rate. So if you want to help yourself 
start working on strength training, on increasing your lean muscle, and naturally your body's metabolism will go up. Don't eat every hour, every two hours and, ex- and expect your metabolism to go up. <laughs> That's just unrealistic as I hope I'm showing you. When you eat too soon after a previous meal, again, I'm going to beat a dead horse here because I really want you to get it. Insulin levels rise too soon, turning off your liver's exercise routine. It inhibits fat burning. It causes calories to be stored rather than burned and your energy will plummet. You'll feel crappy and you may actually suffer from food cravings, which seems counterintuitive, but sometimes that's just how the body works when it's really confused. So if you consistently eat meals too close together, you'll cause your pancreas to fatigue. So your pancreas is the organ that pumps out the insulin. Your insulin receptors will become resistant. So again, if there's always glucose floating around in your blood and your insulin is this little molecule that has receptors on it that grabs up that glucose, if it's, there's glucose always present, then the receptors are going to be saturated, which means that they, they literally can't keep up. And once your insulin receptors are saturated, that triggers your pancreas to pump out more insulin. And so your body can do this for a while, but eventually it gets tired. That's what becomes insulin resistance. And eventually, if it keeps going, it becomes full-blown diabetes. And so you will also struggle with your weight, again, because of this whole relationship with fat storage versus fat burning in relationship to the glucose that's floating in your blood. The glucose is a byproduct of any carbohydrate period. It doesn't matter. All carbohydrates break down to glucose. So hunger, satiation, and blood sugar balance are all under hormonal control. And I'm not talking about the reproductive hormones like estrogen and progesterone or even testosterone because insulin is considered a hormone in your body. So again, insulin is a hormone secreted by your pancreas in response to carbohydrate intake or eating. So the most basic concept that you need to understand that I want you to take away from this is that whenever insulin levels rise, fat burning stops. So by grazing around the clock, you're preventing your body from burning fat. When you're constantly eating, you're consistently releasing insulin, which puts your body into an absorption phase, a storage phase. And basically, this means that you're in, the insulin in your body is storing sugar and not letting the other uh, enzymes in your body release the sugar to break down fat. So the goal for your body is to be in a post-absorptive state where your energy store where you it uses your energy stores for sustenance and burns more fat. Grazing can also cause you to lose track of the calories you consumed. So a lot of people when they you know eat this frequently unless they're on a very strict plan and everything is sort of pre-portioned or they're really good meal planners and packagers they're um, they're not very diligent about keeping track of the size 
of the meals that, or in, and the snacks that they're eating. And so it's really easy for you to overconsume when you're snacking throughout the day, especially if you're buying prepackaged snacks and you're not paying attention to the label. Or if sometimes um, you have you say like someone tells you that nuts are a good snack and they are a good snack because things like almonds and cashews, uh, peanuts, not so much, but they're all, you know, I mean, there's worse things in the world, but they are a food that contains a protein, fat and a sugar. And so they are a complete nutritious snack. However, they're very calorie dense. And so if you're eating throughout the day, it's really easy to overeat nuts. And again, if your body is constantly pumping out the insulin to compensate for all these nuts you're eating throughout the day, then your liver's never going to get that break that it needs. And you're just going to be storing your sugar into fat all day long. So it's much easier to count and keep track of what you're eating if you're eating less throughout the day or eating less frequently, I should say. Um, That's something to keep in mind. Unless you're one of these really diligent people that likes to spend time food prepping and packaging and counting, um, it can, these, you know, every two to three hour eating and feedings can really set, set you up for disaster if you're not careful. Some studies have shown that many people don't actually feel satiated following a small meal. So they left feeling, uh, they're left feeling unsatisfied, which also can actually cause them to overeat later to make up for it. So there is a psychological aspect that I don't think a lot of people really bring into the conversation when we talk about eating styles and, and, you know, dieting, dieting to lose weight or dieting for a health condition Um, And when I use the term dieting in this sense, I mean like a short term change to your eating style for a specific goal. And so um, really my philosophy is lifestyle change. That is the most sustainable way to maintain a healthy lifestyle and maintain a healthy eating style throughout your life, maintain your health Uh, help you heal from disease is lifestyle. I am not a fan of dieting, but this whole conversation came up with my husband and I. He was telling me about a friend of his doing this thing and how much weight he's lost. And that's amazing, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news or be the negative Nancy is most likely it's not sustainable because this is, unless he's, because here's the thing, when you have a lot of weight to lose, you and you change your eating style so or you change like your total amount of calories taken in you will lose weight quickly right off the bat but your body will plateau your body will will get used to whatever you're doing and eventually that whatever you're doing won't be effective enough to keep to maintain the weight loss and so right now he's losing weight because he's reduced his overall caloric intake which is great. He could have done that without doing six meals a day. But if he keeps this up, his body eventually will get used to the constant insulin presence and it'll, he'll just store the, all these calories to fat instead of right now he's burning them off. And the main thing that he's done is he's just decreased his total caloric intake. So, um, 
But anyway, so again, the psychological aspect is that grazing can leave you wanting more food because you never sit down to have a full meal. There's a whole component to chewing and our brains are mm, wired to release certain signals that I want to talk about too with leptin and ghrelin, which are the other hormones that are um, involved in the feeling of satiation slash or opposite hunger. Your body is designed for sustained energy and blood sugar control. Your body knows what to do. It's designed to go long periods of time without external sources of food. And this is because Way back in the day, Paleolithic era, the whole sort of foundation for um, a lot of the fasting research that has actually been studied and shown to be true is that, you know, there were long periods of fasting. There were long periods of time where as prehistoric humans, we just didn't have food available to us. So that's why our body is so good at storing fat because it needed to to survive. And so if you think about it that way, so there's elaborate mechanisms in place to keep your blood sugar steady and involves your brain, your hormones, your stomach, and your liver. It's all connected. So if you find yourself getting cranky and irritable between meals, that is definitely a sign that your body's natural blood sugar regulating mechanism is totally out of whack and out of balance. So if you find yourself weak or hungry sooner than five to six hours after eating a meal. These are some of the things that it could be due to. So I want to keep these in mind. It could be that you're not eating enough at the previous meal. It could be that you're eating too many carbs at the previous meal. It could be that you're impaired, you have an impaired digestion, digestion and absorption mechanism in your body. So if you are struggling with Crohn's, celiac, IBS, Um, any of these conditions, then your digestion and absorption is not uh, totally up to snuff. You could be um, out of shape. And so again, your whole metabolic pathway is impaired. Your adrenals could be weak and blown out. Um, You could have a sluggish and congested liver. It could be absolute exhaustion diabetes, insulin resistance, and then there's this last thing called leptin resistance. So this is the last little piece of the puzzle and little aspect I want to throw in for for today. So when you eat, the fat cells in your body release a hormone called leptin. And increased levels of leptin reduce your desire and motivation to continue eating or eating more. It's called when you feel full or satiated. That's because your leptin levels have risen. Within a few hours after you finish eating, your leptin levels should drop. And this drop in leptin causes a release of a different hormone that I mentioned earlier called ghrelin. And ghrelin is released by your stomach and your pancreas, and it makes you feel hungry. So if you think about leptin makes you feel full, ghrelin signals the hunger uh, response. This is one reason why many people have a harder time controlling their appetite or stopping after they've eaten enough, is that they're leptin resistant. Leptin resistance can be a bit of a vicious cycle because a large intake of calories over a long period of time, so eating too much when you're in college for four years 
Or how about any of us out there that are student athletes that were taught, I know I was a swimmer in college and we were made to eat breakfast as a team every single morning after swim practice. The main reason our coach said was to make sure that none of us had an eating disorder because, and that was good, you know, eating disorders are rampant in swimmers and many athletes, but if you have, if you were an athlete for a long period of time and now as you've gotten older, you're not quite as active, your body could just be used to you eating so much that it became leptin resistant. And the appetite controlling activity of leptin eventually becomes less and less effective. So that's the term resistance. Just like insulin resistance is the presence of insulin becomes less and less effective. The same with leptin. So it's possible to eat yourself into having a chronically high appetite. If leptin is acting correctly, it triggers the satiety signals in a part of your brain called the hypothalamus, and this makes you stop feeling hungry. Leptin can also inhibit the hunger signals from the hypothalamus. So the other interesting part of this equation is that those chronically high leptin levels can cause chronically low ghrelin levels because this is all working on a feedback loop and all of these signals are intertwined. And so this makes your hypothalamus hypersensitive to ghrelin so that when small amounts of ghrelin are released, you get hungry very easily, very fast. And so in addition to spending much of your life eating too much, again, if you were just an example, a, you know, former athlete, then other lifestyle choices can cause the leptin ghrelin imbalance. And this can also be lack of sleep, stress. Um, Even if you're not overeating, if you're eating hyper palatable foods like processed sweets, Um, any sort of packaged food that has been engineered to trigger all these things in your brain. Thank you, food industry. That's, to me, that's really interesting. It's another aspect. The reason that you're eating these frequent meals is because you're hungry after, not long after you eat, you could be leptin resistant or even ghrelin resistant. And so these are things to, you know, dig in deeper about yourself, your previous habits, you know, maybe try to figure out why. And then once you know the why, then you know how to, address it. There's other, um, some, I, I talked about psychological aspects. So if you expect yourself to be hungry, that can be enough to trigger ghrelin. And again, if you are, if your ghrelin threshold is low, then just that expectation of, oh, my dad does this. It's 12 o'clock. I should be hungry. I'm going to eat. And so instead of actually asking himself, is he really hungry? He eats and or just because he's conditioned himself that this is the time I eat every day, he's hungry, whether his body really needs food or not. So I do also want to talk about like hunger is not a bad thing. And it's important to, to understand that in a normal situation, the leptin, ghrelin, insulin interaction um, is completely necessary for your survival. So I don't want you to get the, um, to, to feel like I'm, I'm beating up on you, but it's important to resensitize yourself to leptin. And so this will take about four to eight weeks of completely changing your lifestyle and eating patterns that may be contributing to your leptin resistance. So I can take you through some tools to do that. And hopefully you also, the other aspect I'm going to sort of swerve off here is that 
I'm a big advocate for bioindividuality. And so, yes, historically speaking, we should all be able to go six to eight hours at least without feeling hungry after we eat or needing to eat after we eat a meal. And so if you can't, then there might be some questions. But if you are happy and healthy and all of your systems are functioning in the green light and are working well and you're eating every three hours, then I would say, okay, great. I would still caution you because as we get older and if your pancreas, again, is constantly pumping out insulin, then that could predispose you to insulin resistance and diabetes later on in life. However, if you're still an athlete and you're still burning lots of calories a day, or maybe you have a really active job, you're one of the few lucky ones that actually gets to move around all day long while they work, then it could be totally normal that you're just burning through what you're eating so fast that you're hungry. And that's normal. And that's great. So I, you know, there's a, you know, a equal side to every coin. And so I want to bring attention to some of the aspects where hunger and eating uh, fairly frequently could be okay. But if you feel like maybe you're leptin resistant, maybe you're sitting at a desk all day, and maybe you're hungry every three to four hours when you're really not burning that many calories besides your baseline metabolic level, then here are some things to think about. So avoid fructose sugars because these will tend to trigger leptin resistance. And so unfortunately, fructose is, it's what we call fruit sugar. So you're going to have to uh, cut down on even natural fruit. So definitely anything with added sugar, but I would say you probably want to avoid um, most fruits for at least four weeks to see if um, your hunger and satiation response changes. You need to exercise in moderation. Try to infuse some exercise throughout your day. And so for me, I work a 10 and a half hour shift at the hospital seven days a week, and I'm in the car two hours a day for my commute. So that's possibly 12 hours a day of sitting down. So what I've done is I set a timer. I make myself get up and walk around the hospital. I have a little elliptical that sits underneath my desk. I have a sit-stand station. So I've infused all these different tools that force me and enable me to get up and move around because even just moving around, even if you're not, quote, burning, you know, like sweating with an exercise routine in the middle of the day, just the, the movement will help your body resensitize and and sort of bump that metabolism up, which is what you're looking for, right? So you also want to help control your stress because stress produces cortisol. And that's a whole nother podcast in and of itself. But you also want to avoid hunger triggers because maybe the you have a low threshold for ghrelin sensitivity. So keep the sweets out of sight, out of mind, out of the house, out of your desk, out of your car, wherever it is that you keep them. Um, just get rid of them. Because if ghrelin is your issue, then even just a little bit is going to trigger, make your brain think that you're hungry when your body doesn't really need food at the moment. When you're eating, keep any extra food um, 
off of the countertop. So put it away before you begin your meal. So when you're done, if you're like some people that I know and love very dearly that eat way too fast. And so this person that I know and love really dearly, if he hears this podcast, he's going to laugh because he will literally wolf down his food without breathing sometimes (laughs) because he's panting at the end. And then he says, I'm still hungry. Well, you're still hungry because you put so much food in your stomach that you haven't given your brain time to catch up and actually release all the hormones and all the signals that need to be released for your body to know that it's full. But if you still have all this food sitting out on the stove or the countertop or whatever it is, then you're going to run right back into the kitchen and get seconds because you think you're still hungry. So go ahead, put it away. Once you've made your plate for whatever meal it is, put everything else away and then go and sit down, eat slowly, chew your food completely. When you chew, your brain get the signals. It's a it's connected that you're, you know, being fed, that you're being satiated and that you're full. And also, you want to make sure you're eating real nutritious food. Nothing packaged, nothing pre-prepped, real food, real nutrients that is actually feeding your body exactly what it needs. Okay, so I think I've preached long enough today. (laughs) I hope you guys got something out of this that if you have... If eating the six meals a day works for you, great, keep doing it. But I want you to know that the science behind the necessity of it is not there. And so I hopefully have brought a deeper understanding of how the hormones in your body help support you and how they're all connected in your eating frequency and eating routine and the feeling of hunger and the feeling of satiation. And so if you have any questions from this podcast, please leave them in the comments. This podcast is published on anchor.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn. um, I'm on Amazon now. You can even tell your Alexa, Alexa, play Light Body Radio on TuneIn or on Amazon Podcasts. And it'll pop right up on your Alexa. How fun is that? So uh, send me your questions, send me your comments. If you feel like you're stuck in a cycle that you don't want to be in anymore, I am here to help you. So send me an email or even in a comment maybe and uh, we can get together and see what's going on with you and we can work together to get you in a better place Uh, because that is my mission to help all of you guys out there and gals. Um, to feel happy, healthy, whole, like you are functioning at your best. So on that note, I will catch you on the flip side.